curious, anybody take an angry nap this week? All right. If you don't know why people are chuckling, don't miss church now. Now, uh, this week, I, uh, I feel like my week ended well, but it didn't start out the way that I expected. My week started out with a little bit more stress. I gotta be honest, I started out heavy-hearted, and Monday was probably the most heavy-hearted day of the week for me. And towards the end of the afternoon, I felt like I was doing a pretty decent job of processing the stress, and then I got a call. A friend of mine was being admitted to the hospital, and I went and spent some time with him. I was there until about 10 o'clock at night, and, and I got home, and I was just like itching, itching, itching. You ever just itching? You can't stop itching. And I went to the bathroom, and, 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 I, and I found out um, I was covered in hives. And uh, I, I think it was just kind of like a stress reaction, and I called my wife in. I'm like, I look like a monster. And just the day before, we had kicked off a brand new series all about encouragement, and this launched me into a little conversation with Jesus. Jesus, I want to be the guy who gives people encouragement. I don't want to be the one who needs encouragement. But it's okay to need encouragement. God actually intentionally engineered us. He on purpose designed us to need encouragement. And that's okay. Recently I was listening to an interview with an author who I like and he shared some things fascinating. I, I want to share them with you. Did you know that people in their 20s are less likely to say that they are in love than did previous generations. As a matter of fact, it's down 30 percentage points over the past three or four decades. People are less likely to get married. People are less likely to just live with each other. And this is just a snapshot, a way to, to look and see that what people are saying is that their experience of love is down. And at the same time, Indicators of anxiety and depression and other corollaries related to that are on the way up. And it's not like I've given us enough data to make broad statements about our culture, and yet I think that there are a lot of people who would say feelings of love are on the way down, feelings of anxiety, worry, or fear are on the way up. When I was a kid, I loved the swings, I loved the merry-go-round, I don't know if they think that's a safe thing anymore, and I love the seesaw. Anybody else love the seesaw? Anybody ever use the seesaw to launch your friends in the air? You know what I'm talking about. All right, here's a picture of a seesaw. This is not gonna end well, right? But this is what life feels like to some folks. And maybe folks in our community, maybe people in this room, maybe you watching online, feels like love's on the way down and fear and anxiety and worries on the way up. And what do you do? What are we supposed to do when life is like that? You say, that's just the way life is. Toughen up, buttercup. Or is there another response? I want to introduce you to someone named Irenaeus. He was a bishop, he was a, a church father, he was a theologian in the second century. This is what he wrote. He said, the glory of God gives life. Those who see God receive life. For this reason, God, who cannot be grasped, comprehended or seen, allows himself to be seen, comprehended and grasped by men, that he may give life to those who see and receive him. Life in man is the glory of God. The life of man is the vision of God. And over the years, that's been truncated, it's evolved into a more uh, punchy paraphrase. Man fully alive is the glory of God. Now it might help us to know that Irenaeus was taught by a guy named Polycarp, and Polycarp was discipled by John, as in John the Apostle, maybe Jesus' best friend. 
And so Irenaeus lived in close proximity to the life of Jesus and his view of life and his view of living out the gospel was largely flavored and influenced by John. Remember that John is the one who wrote down for us what Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And what is it that robs us, that steals away the, the feeling of having life to the fullest? That's probably a long conversation, but at least one of those things would be fear. And John wrote some other things about fear. He said this, he said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, and we love because he first loved us. And so if we are going to experience life to the full, if we're gonna live fully alive, well, that's gonna include a number of things. It at least includes this. It hinges on choosing love over fear. And I wanna draw our attention to something that he said right here. We love because he first loved us. The comfort, the encouragement, the renewal that we receive from Jesus, it is not something that we can force. It's not something that we can manufacture. He initiated, he goes first, we respond to him. And I want us to think about that as we look at what our theme verse is for this series. And we're gonna be looking at this over the whole summer and I would love for you to memorize this. Psalm 121, one and two. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's not a three-step process. It can't be reduced down to some sort of faith formula. This is when we trust in him, when we turn to him in trust, when we turn to him in faith, God supernaturally works in our life. And we respond to him. And so this is our constant drumbeat. This is what we're trying to encourage each other with over this summer. It's this, when you are whatever you are, look up. And today, when you are fearful, anxious, or worried, look up. And so, today, I'm giving the message that I feel like I need to hear. It's a message of encouragement that's, that, that, that's really something that I need in my, in my own life. And if there's ever any point in today's message where it feels like, you know, I'm being confrontational or I'm getting up in your business, remember, I'm just preaching to me in front of you. You're listening in, okay? Because I'm a sinner, because you're a sinner, because we all start off in life, our default is resisting the authority of God, and because we are all in some way or another the product of the culture in which we grew up in, we have got some natural default tendencies that's different than this. And our natural default tendency can look like this. When you are whatever, look within. When you're fearful, anxious, or worried, look within. And this will work for a while, won't it? Especially if you're a go-getter. If you're a person with high capacity, if you are an achiever, this will work for a while. But give it a little bit more time and it always proves to be bankrupt. And so there's another approach. When you're fearful, anxious, worried, look around. Look around to get other people to validate you, to affirm you, to make you feel like you are enough. And the problem with that approach is it hurts other people and it hurts us. There is no person 
And there's no group of people that can handle the crushing weight of making your life or my life enough. That comes from looking to the one who made us in his image. And here's the way that it hurts us. If we live our life looking around to others, we will drown in a sea of comparison. But there's another way. There's another way that this works out. When you're anxious, fearful, uh, worried, kind of look around for power. Look around for power. Now the reason that there has been havoc in our churches these past number of years is because followers of Jesus have forgotten that when we feel fearful, the answer is not power, it's love. And sometimes, sometimes, we look around, people look around for power to try to force other people to validate us or to, or to affirm us. And that's an approach, and right now, maybe it seems like it's a very popular approach in our culture. This is what followers of Jesus can be vulnerable to. When it feels like other people are using their power to try to force us to affirm their viewpoint, we're vulnerable to looking around for our own power to push back against those who we think are making a power play against us. That temptation is understandable, I get it. But it's rooted in forgetting the gospel or misunderstanding the gospel. So what do we do? What does it mean to look up? Well, we're teasing that out, we're tracing that out, we're, we're looking up by looking back at pivotal stories from the Old Testament that are sources of encouragement. And today, if you dare to look at this story with eyes wide open, I think that some of us might even be shocked at the seismic ongoing ripple effects of what happened in the story of one woman who dared to look up to God in faith when she was in the middle of fear. At the look at this story, we're gonna go back to Joshua, chapter two, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. First, let me address the elephant in the room, these spies, they're not going to the red light district looking for a party. And that day and time and that history and that culture, uh, her house would have been the closest thing there was to a hotel. Now to make sure that we're all on the same page and we have all the information that we need so that we can move forward, let me summarize a few important key events that have taken place. Uh, the Hebrews or the, the children of God or also called the Israelites, they had been slaves in Egypt and God raised up Moses uh, to bring them out of Egypt, to free them from, from oppression. He was gonna establish them as a nation. And God's goal was not simply to give them uh, political freedom, but to make them a different kind of nation. So the problem was, is that there are people that wanted the freedom, and there are people who wanted the blessing of God. They didn't want the restriction of worshiping God exclusively, and they didn't want the responsibility of having to represent him to all the other nations, so they rebelled. And God uh, caused them to wander around in the desert for an entire generation. And now we're gonna fast forward in time, and there's a new generation. And this generation is ready to trust and follow God and participate in his purposes. And so God leads them across the Jordan River and they go into the land of Canaan. And this is the land that God is going to give to his chosen people and he's gonna take it away from the people who are there. So that means battles, and that means war. 
And one of the key cities in the land of Canaan was the city of Jericho, and it looked impossible. It looked like there's no way that we can ever defeat it. And so to get a little information, Joshua commissioned a couple of spies to go and sneak into the city to get the info and to come back and give a report to him. And while they were there, they went to the house of Rahab, and that's where the mission almost fell apart. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. What did she do? She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Hey, go after them real quick. You might catch up with them. This is fascinating to me, how she would respond. There are a number of things that jump out at me. I want to share a few observations with you. First off is this. She is a woman whose lifestyle and whose occupation contradicts what God wants for people. And she chose to align herself. She chose to align herself, take a risk, and align herself with the guys who were there to take over her town. And she turned her back on her own people. She didn't just lie to her people. She lied to the people in power. And there are all kinds of questions that that ignites for me in, in my mind, but I want to share one question with you. It's this. Is it ever good to do the wrong thing for the right reason? And this is a woman, she is like really comfortable with lying, and she's good at it. Seems like it's not her first time lying to people. Here's my question. Is it ever morally right to do what is morally wrong? I don't know that that's a question that I can answer for you this morning. I'm not even going to try, but I'll tell you one thing I think. I don't think it's that Rahab found a moral loophole that made lying virtuous. I think she was in an impossible situation, and she had to choose. Do I protect these men who are vulnerable, or do I align with power? How many of you guys know who Corey Tinboom is? Anybody know that name? She was, if you don't know who, who, if you don't recognize that name, she and her family protected Jewish people from the Nazis during World War II. And doing that caused her to have to lie to Nazis. And many years later, she was lecturing at Biola University in California, and somebody raised their hand and asked her this question. Uh, lying is a sin. How do you reconcile that with your faith, even though you did it for the right reason? Her response was this, I've thought about that long and hard. All I can say is, I'm grateful that God is my judge and not you. All right, Corey Ten, boom. <laughs> Love it. This is my, this, this is my th answer. We can debate Rahab's decisions, not her disposition. And I'm convinced of this, and I know many of you are too. Does God care about the choices we make and the decisions we make? Yes, he does. But I'm even more convinced of this. As much as he's concerned about the decisions and the choices we make, God cares more about why we make the decisions and the choices that we make. Let's go back to Joshua chapter two. Before the, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. That's a shocking statement. I know God has given this to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. How could she know that God had given them the land? Well, she says this. She says, we have heard 
We all know, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We talked about this last week, I wanna reaffirm it today. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever see anything, read anything, hear anything that affirms blind faith. Faith and faith is not biblical. We are to be people who take truth seriously. Rahab is a woman who took truth seriously and she followed the evidence and it caused her to trust in the God who was new to her, unexplainable by her and yet undeniable. She continues. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now I don't know how to reverse engineer what's happening here. I don't know how much of this is her, her own perception and her own insight. I don't know how much of this is God awakening understanding and faith inside of her. But Rahab seems to instantly understand something we've been trying to understand. Friendship with God means breaking friendship with his rivals. And so she says this. She's talking to the spies. Now then please, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Remember that. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. It's here that even though she is responding with faith, she's turning towards God, that's her disposition. She's a woman who does not yet understand grace, does she? Listen, you guys be kind to me, because I was kind to you. Her approach at this point is transactional. And this is where I think the kindness and the gentleness and the goodness of God shines. You don't have to come to him perfectly. Just come to him. You don't have to turn to God. You don't have to come to God perfectly. Just turn to him. Just come to him. Just trust him. And so these spies, these men of Israel, they agreed to her proposal. They, they honored her request. And they said that everyone who is in your house when the battle comes, will be safe. And to mark that her house was a place of safety, they tied a scarlet rope, she tied a scarlet rope on her, on her window to, to mark that. And then when the battle uh, would come, if you don't know the, the details of the story and how God uh, miraculously brought victory to the children of Israel, I wanna encourage you to go and read Joshua chapter six. We don't have time to read that now. Now, this is a place where I feel like it's probably helpful if I pause and do a kind of a quick commercial break. This, when we talk about battles and violence in the Old Testament, it causes some people to be queasy, doesn't it? It causes some people to say, I, I, I don't know if I can trust that. That, that, that seems wrong. There are fantastic answers to that kind of response and to those questions, and there's really important information you need. I don't have time to get into all of that today, but if that's something that you've wondered about, I wanna encourage you, strongly encourage you to get this book. You can get it out of our bookstore. Or if you don't like to read, you can look up Is God a Moral Monster, Paul Copan on YouTube, and you can watch the author give lectures on this book. It's incredibly helpful. I wanna encourage you to check that out. But let's go back to something that Rahab said in Joshua chapter two. She said, we have heard, we all know, we've all heard, not just me, we've all heard how the Lord dried up the water 
of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. I want us to focus on the we language. We have heard of it. Our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What I want us to recognize, just pause long enough to recognize is everybody had this information. This wasn't unique to her. They, all the people in Jericho had it. They all had the exact same starting point. It's not like God had a salvation lottery and pulled the name out of the hand and said, oh, Rahab saved. It's not that, that's not what happened. She is simply the only one who chose to follow the evidence. She's the one, she's the only one who chose to follow the truth, to say, you are God, you are the undeniable God, you are new to me, there are things about you that are unexplainable to me, and yet you are undeniable. And when she turned to him in trust, even though she was surrounded by fear, she found acceptance. I want you to write this down. Rahab is proof that God would rather forgive than judge. Jericho is proof that some would rather be judged than forgiven. Rahab is proof that God would rather forgive than judge, and Jericho is proof that some would rather be judged than forgiven. And I just wanna say, if there's anybody in here today, if there's anybody who's watching online and you doubt this, if there's anything in you that doubts that God is eager and excited and ready to respond with kindness and gentleness and grace, you have got to go read the Old Testament book of Jonah. God is ridiculously kind and patient and gracious and good. And you don't even have to, you don't even have to go read the book, do you? We could look around this room. Now this is a room full of people who look nice. You guys clean up well. You look like you have it all together. This is audience participation time. Is there anyone in this room who would say, I've got a track record of sin and moral mess-ups, things I'm not excited about, and I don't really wanna go into the details with anybody else. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? Is there anybody else in this room who would say, and yet I have discovered that God is quick and eager to be gracious and kind and gentle with me? Can anybody say, that is me? If anybody is slow, it's not him. If anybody is hesitant, it is not him. When you are whatever you are, when you are anxious, fearful, or worried, look up. If you know the name John Maxwell, you likely know him as an author, maybe as a teacher of leadership. He was also a pastor. And John Maxwell has some things to say about uh, Rahab. I wanna share a few of those with you. He said this, he said, make yourself aware of what God is doing. Submit to him, be sensitive to him. Let go of your agenda, and when God moves, move along with him. Several times Rahab could have let fear overwhelm her, but she didn't. Rahab may not have looked like a leader to her contemporaries, but she continues to provide true leadership for millions through scripture's depiction of her faith and obedience. Surprising, but true. I don't know if you've ever thought of Rahab as a leader before, and if you've never thought of her as a leader, I wanna invite you to let's think about her as a leader right now, and maybe a way that will help is if we think about the concepts of vulnerability and protection, and as to kind of get ourselves ready to think about this way, I want you to write this down. Anyone who has a vulnerability needs protection from someone who has strength. Anyone who has a vulnerability needs protection from somebody who has strength. 
The Israelite spies, these men who were hiding in her home, they were vulnerable. Motivated by faith and kindness, Rahab protected them. And yet Rahab was vulnerable too. And these Israelite men, motivated by faith and kindness, protected her and everyone in her house. Are women and children the only ones with vulnerability? Is it just them? Doesn't everybody have vulnerability? Are men the only one who have strength? Doesn't everyone have strength, even though the way it's expressed might look differently? Would it be okay if I said this? Any view that puts the responsibility of using your strength to provide protection on one gender at the exclusion of the other gender is shaped more by culture than by scripture. When men use their strength to protect the vulnerability of children, women, and other men, it is an expression of goodness that honors God. And when women use their strengths to protect the vulnerabilities of children, women, and other men, it is an expression of goodness that honors God. Any contrary view is dangerously narrow and has become detached from God's word. So how does this help? How does looking at this story of Rahab provide clarity? How does it provide the comfort we need, especially when we feel like we're on the seesaw and feels like fear is going up and love's going down? Can I be vulnerable with you? You guys give me permission? I see one person, all right. Everybody else just listen. There's something inside of me. There's, this, there's a temptation inside of me that, that I wanna give you three steps when you feel afraid. There's something inside of me that wants to give you this formula, just go and do these things. There's something inside of me that wants to, to try and craft this like simple, easy, one size fits all answer. The problem is I don't think that one exists. So how do we, what does it mean to look up? What do we do when we feel these things? What does it mean? Well, looking up, it means turning to Jesus and saying, I trust that you are in control, especially as I begin to realize all the things in my life that are out of control. Looking up means refusing to use feelings of fear, worry, or anxiety as an excuse to stop being kind and loving to any other person. Looking up means, God, I believe you are who you say you are. Looking up means, God, I trust your intent and I'm going to expre express the fact that I trust you by obeying your commands, even when I feel afraid. Looking up means I'm not ever going to use feelings of fear, anxiety, or worry as an excuse to not engage vulnerably in gospel community. And sometimes, recognizing areas where we're vulnerable in life triggers feelings of fear. And that's okay, it doesn't have to be the response, but that's the way sometimes that we respond to that. You know what we get to decide? We get to decide how are we going to treat each other when somebody else expresses their vulnerability to us? Are we going to make them feel safe? Looking up 
Looking up means trusting God to keep his promises that he's revealed in his word. God, I'm going to trust you to keep the promises that you reveal in your word. And that's faith. And Jesus said, faith always looks like love. So as we move into this next section of the message, I want to share something with you. I want you to think about it with me. Looking up always matures into looking out for. Looking up always matures into looking out for. This isn't the last time we hear about Rahab. This isn't the last time that her name comes up. In the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus is given. And it's pretty normal that people would give their family record in the time of Jesus. And when you gave your family record, you made a big deal out of the important people and you left out people with a shady past. Not Jesus. He loves being associated with people who have a shady past. In Matthew chapter one, we read the name of Rahab again. Solomon the father, was the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. It's so, the way that this is written, it's, the term for it is telescope genealogy. It's not intended, was not at all intended to be read that Rahab is actually Boaz's mom, but he, I don't know how many greats, but she's a great-great-grandmother of Boaz. He's in her family line, and eventually out of this family line would come King David, but then eventually Jesus. And to really understand the import and the power of Rahab turning to God in, in, in a time of fear, of looking up, I think we've got to look at a snapshot of the story of Boaz. I don't have time to tell you the whole thing right now. If you want to read more about him, read the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth was not an Israelite. Uh, she was a widow. Her mother-in-law was an Israelite, and her mother-in-law was also a widow. And because of economic adversity and, and a lack of food, they moved back to Israel, and that put Ruth uh, in the same community as this guy named Boaz. And Boaz was a good man, a righteous man, a trustworthy man. Uh, he was a business owner, he was a land owner, he was a respected leader in the community. So he had power, privilege, and wealth. And he had already demonstrated to Ruth and her mother-in-law this kind of no-strings-attached kindness. And recognizing what a good man he was and how kind he was, Ruth and her mother-in-law hatched a plan to try and get Boaz to marry Ruth so they could be taken care of. And this is the plan. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, that means he was well marinated, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. They'd been doing some work on the threshing floor, and Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. What is going on here? How is this a plan? You got a well-marinated Boaz who's sleepy after a day of work and she snuggles up next to him and she uncovers his feet. Now here's the problem. This is tricky to understand because feet in Hebrew is a euphemism for more discreet body parts. And so we don't know if she uncovered his feet or did she uncover his feet. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, this is what's going on. She's giving him permission to make a move and hopes that that's gonna turn into him wanting to marry her and take care of her. What do you think a guy like Boaz does? He wakes up, realizes what's going on. First thing out of his mouth is this. You are a woman of noble character and everybody knows it. I promise I'm gonna take care of you. And then he rolls over and goes to sleep. <laughs> the next day, 
in a way that publicly honors Ruth, in a way that honors the, the culture that they're in, in a way that honors his faith in God, he begins the process to marry Ruth. And they had a grandson who became king of the nation. And eventually from that family line came Jesus. And I tell you, I tell you this story because I just want to ask this question. Where do you think this dude learned to use his power, privilege, and wealth to protect those who are vulnerable? Don't you think that in some way this is the influence of Rahab playing out in his life? If her story was memorialized and used to shape the identity and the character of the entire nation, don't you think that her story would have played a role in shaping the identity and character of her own family? And she was a woman in times of fear who looked up and that resulted in a family who would look up to God in faith and look out for others in love. When you are fearful, anxious, worried, or whatever, look up. I don't know what things might be going on in your life right now that would cause you to feel fear, anxiety, or worry. And I don't know how God is going to bring comfort and renewal in your life. That's something you're gonna discover as you turn to him in faith. But something that you don't know and none of us can know is how God will take that and multiply it and grow it into faith and kindness in those who come after us. And so I'm saying, whatever we're feeling, whatever you are, look out. Let's resist the natural tendency to look within or to look around. And let's look up to the one who loves us, who made us in his image, who even gave his life for us. And remember that God in his kindness made Rahab the great, 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 I don't know how many greats, but the great grandmother of the one who's the creator of the universe. And when he came, he came vulnerably as a little infant. And he is perfect love who casts out fear.